as a global co-working unconference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Okay, everybody, I am happy to introduce you to Jillian Kilby. Okay, so Jillian, before we launch in, I have to know how you are as a human, not your business, not your kids. How are you? Oh, I'm well. I was actually going to say I'm full on because I would say that's how I describe myself. I'm going really well, thanks. I had a couple of worries 24 hours ago that pulled me really down. And I got into bed with my Hmm. husband and I just said, how do I cope? How do I cope with this? And it was interesting in a conversation the next day with a friend, she told me about something someone else was going through and it was a really hard leadership challenge. There was Mm. public reputation on the line. Mm. It was a really difficult situation. The perspective of what someone else was going through took me to a different place. I reached out to that organization that was having trouble Mm. and I said, 10 years from now, I hope you look back and see changes you made that made your organization better, that make your children proud of you as leaders. And I offered them the use of our co-working space for free to have what will be very crucial conversations because of what they're going through. So it was Mm. really nice to have a bit of perspective that my worries are insignificant compared to what some other people are going through in the world. So I'm full on and I'm great. Thanks, Liz. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was talking to a friend this morning who's been having, she runs a roofing company and just People just aren't showing up, aren't showing up and aren't showing up and aren't showing up. And she's so frustrated and she's so beyond. And today I was like, look, are you performing brain surgery on a two-year-old? She's like, no. And I was like, then it's all going to be okay. I have a leaky roof at the moment. So if she could direct her talents to Dumbo, that would be amazing. (laughs) I've just bought a new building and the last owner really let it go. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us. My first co-working space flooded at least six times. The first time it was flooded was right after I put the carpet tile in. So that was all immediately soaked. So yeah, I know all about water remediation. It's oh, super boy. fun. That's a lot. Mm. But you know, that's just the pleasures of owning a business. And speaking of which, it seems like you are doing a lot of things here, my dear. You are, you know, you've got a d- multiple degrees. You're the founder of The Exchange. You're the chair of the Bush Summit Rule Advisory Council. And you're the co-founder of The Stable Group. That's a lot. How's business going? does sound like a lot. Business is great. The piece that I really love is the restoration of these old heritage buildings to create co-working yeah. spaces. That I get so excited about that. I had someone putting up a false ceiling this morning and I've been awake since 5 a.m. waiting for him to send me photos. That that brings me to life. And the other thing that brings me to life is we do a lot of consulting through the stable group in regional Australia and we are all about leaving a lasting legacy of change. So we were part of a team last year that helped helped list legislation that was preventing a coal export facility from exporting shipping containers. So we're talking anti-competitive legislation that would prevent a farmer upcountry sending a shipping container of chickpeas, of grain overseas. So we were part of a like a squad, a hot squad of 10 people who got 
that legislation changed. There was a, probably a hundred people working on it, but we came together as a unit specifically to work with people in regional Australia. And I really like that we can look back and say, what is Australia's largest coal export facility will now transition to other goods moving in and out of that port. Love it. Love it. And how did somebody with a Stanford MPP and MBA and a bachelor's degree in civil engineering end up being this, you know, rural advocate and co-working operator in Australia? Yes, it does sound like a big change moving from Silicon Valley to rural New yeah. South Wales. I was born out here. I was born in a small uh, town on a big farm at a place called Canamble. It's population 2000. It was a two-hour drive to get school shoes, to go to the equivalent of your shopping, big shopping mart centres or your Home Depot, for example. I am very passionate about the regional communities because that's what gave me the opportunity uh, when I grow up, grew up to be who I am today. And I love living and working in regional areas. It's what brings me alive. And I just wouldn't sacrifice that to have a career in a city. Now, the careers in regional areas are a bit limited. So, of course, you have to make your own way. Hence why I do that through owning my own company. The first company I started when I was 25, it was just a civil engineering business. Oh, is my that mission all? Statement, yeah. My mission statement was, to have a fabulous career no matter where I choose to live. Now, that's not a traditional Mm. company mission statement because it was about giving me the opportunity to flex my muscles as a civil engineer to be able to work, to be able to have a career from a farm in the middle of nowhere. And things changed quite quickly, three years on that farm. I wasn't surrounded by like-minded people who wanted to drive change. and Well, they wanted to drive change, but they didn't want to run businesses at the scale I did. And so I left and that's when I got the opportunity to go to Stanford University. Once I finished my studies, I'm back to Australia and here we are. (laughs) And tell us about what makes the exchange so unique. The exchange is unique because it's in a regional setting. And when we threw open the doors, 80% of the people who walked in were women. We didn't see that coming. We thought our Mm -hmm. clients would be of a very, a, a huge mix. But what I noticed in the lead up to starting that co-working space was that a lot of men have jobs, generalization, and a lot of women are running small businesses, side hustles. They're doing it while their kids are young. And then when their kids go to kindergarten, they say, okay, I want to step into this more fully, but I don't have a community around me of business-minded people to do that with. So we found that the women were turning up because they wanted to be part of a business community and they wanted to grow. The other piece we didn't expect was that people would only co-work one day a week. Because we're in a regional Mm. area, a lot of people have a fourth bedroom. So they only Mm -hmm. need to turn up to get that refresh, that hit of inspiration, of confidence, of community. And then they go back to their four-bedroom house and they work from their office. So in creating community, you have to be prepared to have more members, more tenants than a smaller community. Therefore, we have 1.5 FTEs, full-time employees running the business on each location. Yeah. Another thing I absolutely loved is that your website had some really great data that there's over 600 people in your network. You've had 8,000 unique visitors in the past two years and you have over 6,000 online followers. Those are great statistics. It's something that was needed in regional areas, but overlooked because it's hard to run a very profitable business with a smaller network, a smaller market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. So how have you been able to be profitable or are you not? 
Well, a lot of a lot of optimism, and we <laughs> I bought the building. So the differentiator mm. between me and a lot of other operators is my first step was to buy the building, renovate the building, bring the community along on the renovation. We bought a post office that was built in 1886. Now that probably doesn't sound old to a lot of people listening, but in Australia, that's really old. That's like in America, that's really old. That's really old too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's a huge post office with a big clock tower at the top and a bell. Mm. So it's like a beacon within the town. And this building was run down, covered in pigeons, the paint was peeling off, the community was upset. And I returned from America from studying my MBA and public policy masters at Stanford. And I said, I know how to buy that building and I know how to turn that into a collaborative hub because I've seen that at Stanford. I've seen that work in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. so I sort of knew what needed to happen. I had a lot of friends within the construction sector who were able to be my tradesmen to be able to turn that building around. And we opened January 2020 and COVID shut us by March 2020. (laughs) Brutal. We were shut for about eight weeks. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. Mm. And then we gradually reopened with any opportunity we could. We flipped courses online. We kept our community with us. And finally, when COVID allowed us to reopen properly, we had people back in the door. We went through COVID with our whole team intact Mm. because we owned the building. We didn't have to go to the landlord for any rent compensation, rent reduction. That was all done in-house. And about a year into COVID, mid-2021, I bought two more heritage buildings in another town. The price was right. The interest rates were low. The building was perfect. It's an old cordial factory and where they used to make ice. It's over 100 years old. Another abandoned, empty building. We bought that and we started on a second process to renovate and open. We opened that one 12 months ago this month. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. That is amazing. And it's always such a game changer when you can buy the building. Not everybody can, but if you can, and then with your amazing skill set and connections, that's just awesome. And I bet these cities are so, or towns are so happy to have you there just doing economic development and bringing everybody together. And I see the work you're doing you know, with nonprofits and volunteering and giving people space. And it's just so needed these days. But I want to go back real quick to Silicon Valley because I'm super intrigued. I'm sure you followed the news on, you know, how San Francisco is just really in a super rough time right now. And I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are on recovery for San Francisco. I came back in March to go to the women's conference at Stanford and to go to Pebble Beach with friends and to go skiing in Utah. It was a whirlwind eight days without my two-year-old daughter. It was amazing. Um, it's like a junket. Um, and I noticed how San Francisco had changed a lot. So San Francisco is a whole bunch of infrastructure, buildings, car parks, shopping, retail, gyms. Essentially, San Francisco is a big piece of built infrastructure and what made San Francisco really cool when I lived there were the people. And those people hold community and society and cities together. Those people are what make those restaurants in the Mission fly and what made those bars in Hayes Valley trendy and what made the climbing gym I visited in the Presidio a great place to be on a Thursday night at 9 p.m. The fact Mm -hmm. someone put a climbing gym there did not make it cool. And the mm-hmm. same thing can be said about the infrastructure we build for co-working spaces. 
You can build it and they cannot turn up if you don't have the ingredients of the people right. So unfortunately, with COVID, a lot of people left San Francisco. I don't know if anyone listening lived in San Francisco, but Thanksgiving was the easiest time to park a car anywhere in San Francisco because everyone left. Uh Everyone went home. San Francisco was full of expats, even though they were all American expats. Uh They were Americans who shifted to San Francisco. I feel like I used to, I read that book. I read the book Season of the Witch, which is about the formative years of San Francisco when they had the gold rush. Uh And it's almost like America was built on a slope and all the loose shit rolled to this <laughs> joke. They all, a, popul- a town with a population of 3,000 exploded to a population of 30,000, but it was all men who rushed there for the gold. People have always come to San Francisco to, tr- to chase success. I mean, I went to San Francisco to chase a degree in education mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stayed, I spent five years in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. And what I got out of that was an incredible experience, an incredible network of friends. And I worked on high-speed rail, actually, from LA to San Francisco for two years. And at the end of the, that five-year stint in California, I applied and was accepted into the White House Presidential Fellows Group, very small group. And when I applied, I thought Barack Obama would be the president. Didn't get in. Applied again. I thought it might be Hillary. Applied again. And then it was Trump. And I was like, great. Okay, we're going. We're doing this. And then Trump readjusted things and said, no, you cannot have someone who is not an American citizen. Of course. When I got kicked out of that, I was pretty disappointed because I had taken a spot in your number one MBA program at Stanford. And here I am with skills, tools, passion, willingness to participate and to contribute. And, um, and the answer was, no, you can't contribute here. So that's okay. That was when I made the decision to go back to Australia. So you know what? I'm yeah. going back to Australia. Can't blame you. I can contribute here. I actually ran for politics when I got back to Australia. I ran for pre-selection. I missed out by five votes. A Wow. And the guy who got it is now our deputy leader of the opposition. So he's done very well. I obviously up against some very good competition when I ran. Hey there, hopping on to make sure you've heard our latest news. Juicy is going global again. In 2023, you'll be able to find us in the UK, Canada, and Australia. If you're ready to level up your co-working and flex space business, Juicy's the place to be. We've got top-notch speakers, amazing networking opportunities, and the best service providers in the industry. For more information about our upcoming conferences, please visit gcuc.co. See you soon. That's amazing. I love that you have such a service, such a heart for service. It's so clear. And, you know, I have one of my theories around the cities that aren't coming back in the U.S., besides the fact that people left. It's that they're the not very walkable, livable cities, right? So, like, Chicago feels super empty. San Francisco seems empty and scary. D.C. is empty. But then like London, super walkable. It's really come back nicely. You know, Sydney, super walkable. It's kind of come back nicely. So I think, you know, sadly, you know, with real estate in a free fall, you know, we don't have time to make cities what we need them to be in order to attract people back to them. So I think we're going to be in a world of hurt for a little while. But I digress. One of the things I absolutely love in talking to women in Australia and co-working and rule is like, you guys are just on fire. Like I just spoke with Kate last week and 
I mean, I am like super excited about what women are doing in rural Australia. It's fascinating. I think your whole team is women. Is that correct? Well, 100% female-led team, our site managers, our customer experience officers, and my manager. All women, and I was just chatting to someone this morning, most of them fall on the DISC spectrum, which is a personality behavioral traits at work system for looking at how you operate. A lot of them fall within S and C, and I, I'm a very high D, very direct, and then our manager is a high I. So we're actually really nicely spread across a number of qualities and behaviors at work and our skill sets are really suited and everyone is passionate about the cause. Everyone is passionate about taking an old building that was no longer serving society, that was empty and creating a space where 10 years from now, someone will point to that building and say, I started, I grew, I changed my business there and that made all the difference. And that's our vision statement. So it's a pretty powerful mission that we're on. And I really don't know that we would have been the business we have been without buying the building. Without mm-hmm. ownership of the land, I do not believe we could have been the sustainable entity that we are today. And it's funny because when I first set out to do this project, I went to 14 different organizations to see if they would fund the project. And they all said no. They all said Dubbo was too small. So I took the money that I made and I bought the building. I went to the bank. I got the loan and we renovated it. And what's really interesting is had I waited, the opportunity would have never come. People wouldn't have funded it and people still haven't funded these initiatives. You really have to get Mm -hmm. out of bed and do it yourself if you want to get it done. 100%. And I actually ran into a similar scenario and actually San Francisco is part of the story in 2010 when I was looking to lease a building in Austin, Texas. And you want to talk about no one in the world knowing what co-working was. No one knew what it was. And I went to several landlords trying to get a lease and they just, you know, I was an unproven entity and they did not want to give me a lease. And there was an older gentleman and his son had been in San Francisco and had seen some co-working spaces and he convinced his dad to give me a shot. And that is the only reason I got a lease. I feel like that's my bank story. I went to the bank. This is what I want to do. And they said, you're too much of a startup. I said, this is real estate. Yeah. It's not a startup. And then the other bank took six months and then last bank, Commonwealth Bank, they brought their head of banking to Dubbo serendipitously. And the manager at the bank said, let me bring him down and let me walk him through your old building, walk him through and tell him what you want to do. And he said, done. We're funding this and we're not funding it. We're lending you the money. (laughs) We will (laughs) dig a hole of debt for you. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. (laughs) And he said, yeah, we'll get it done. And Commonwealth Bank have been on board from day one. They funded the second and third building. And in March this year, on my birthday, we bought, oh, I bought, I say we because I really feel it's a team experience, but if people are listening with the commercial hat on, they're going to wonder who we is. I bought the fourth building in Dubbo. It's a three-story state heritage listed property. So we've really upped our game in terms Mm -hmm. of um, fancy heritage old, old buildings. But unfortunately, the old owner has really let it lapse. He has Mm -hmm. left the roof in a terrible condition. There's water coming in. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how he how he could do that. Why own a state heritage listed property and not pay attention to those details? The tenants would have been so upset with him Mm -hmm. for repairing the damage. Mm, That's a lot. But congratulations again. That's 
incredible. I love it. I can't wait to see where this all goes. So where, what do you see as your biggest opportunity today and your biggest challenge? The biggest opportunity is because we've built a foundation of properties, the biggest opportunity is what can you do next to give back? So um, being a social impact organization, we like to think that we can take our profits and do good with them. And how we do good is education. So I am where I am because of my education, because I had the opportunity to leave Australia and go to Stanford because I have a civil engineering degree that has been the foundation on which everything in my life has been possible. Plus good family, good friends, great husband, all those things come together. So how do you give other people great education? There was a quote at my meeting yesterday. They said, you can't tip enough education into community. You can never mm. tip people enough education and opportunities. Mm -hmm. One of the things we miss out on in regional areas is face-to-face -face learning. So we started a program called the Exchange Business Activator Program last year in Narrabri, which was the second co-working space we opened. And 680 local people went through the education. 30 local people taught local content. So for example, a local person from the accounting firm taught people about payroll. It's important that local people teach local content because we don't have to drag someone the seven-hour drive from Sydney. Lights only run mm -hmm. twice a week. You can actually do it in-house. But what you needed was the infrastructure. You needed the building that put people in the same room. You needed the screen. You needed the beautiful chairs. You needed people to feel special, empowered, cared for, and that they're good enough to receive this education. So for us, our opportunity is to continue to drive education into regional areas through our community and our commu the glue that holds our community together are the people and everyone is inside the building. The building mm -hmm. does not do it without the people. And probably the biggest challenge is always going to be remaining sustainable, financially sustainable. For me, that's that I always have my eyes on reputational sustainability. That is probably something that keeps me awake at night. And finances, they don't keep me awake at night. We have a wonderful coach, Tony Elderdice Advisory. She is a, you know, CA, chartered accountant, turned CFO, turned CEO, turned yeah. director of the board of her own large supply and logistics company. And she not only coaches our team, but chairs our monthly meetings where everyone reports in on their budgets. So our whole team have done their own budgets. Our whole team now have autonomy to spend their monthly budget. And this process all started when I got pregnant with my daughter. And I said, this baby will be the best thing that's ever happened to me. It will help <laughs> me step out of the business. And that's what it's done. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay, so take me back to 12-year-old Jillian on the farm. Yes. And you get to go back and tell her a little something. What would you tell her? I would probably tell her that the, I would tell her that the things that made me different and unique and different to all the other kids are also the things that will make me special later. Australians talk a lot about tall poppy syndrome, whereas if you're too tall yes. in success, you'll be cut down. Whereas when I got to Stanford, my uniqueness, my differentiators were what people at Stanford liked about me. And that was lovely because 12-year-old 12, 12 Gillian was doing well at school and doing well at athletics, but also being picked on for those qualities. And it wasn't yep. until I went away to a second school, to a private education, that those qualities were ce more celebrated. And I think that remembering that being unique in the right friendship group, in the right 
business setting in the right school are great qualities and really just the endurance to know in your gut that you don't have to change or adapt to fit in with everyone else. Because if I was fitting in with everyone else, there's no way I would have bought a a 140-year-old building (laughs) that was abandoned and covered in pigeons and converted it into the most incredible space. And it's it's such a joy to see. In 2020, we had Australia's worst drought on history, in history. And we had a group of women in the building working on their businesses. And this drought, if you Google the 2020 Australian drought, you'll see these photos of dust storms rolling into towns, into our cities. Mm -hmm. And the women said, you can shut the door here and we could be anywhere in the world. And they said, I can't believe we're good enough for this space. And I think Mm. the reason I provide it is to remind people they're good enough. It's when I ran my business, that business I started when I was 25, the reason I left and went to Stanford is because I lost my confidence and I didn't feel I was good enough. So Mm. I went through a crisis of confidence in running that business. I finished a massive road plan for 50 counts. There were $3 billion worth of roads that need to be upgraded in that plan. And I didn't think that plan was good enough. And my choice was to leave, to fall back on the education, to say, I will be good enough if I get this MBA, if I get this public policy master's, and then I'll come back and use that education to make a difference here in regional Australia. And so for me, that service orientation that I have on everything I do comes from a place of having been the business owner that lost their confidence, that quit the business, that smoke bombed out of regional Australia. But my trajectory changed unlike anyone else's because I landed in, I landed at Stanford and I'm a girl leaving a farm with a pet kangaroo turning up on campus. I've never been to California. I've never been to Stanford and I turn up for my first day of class and there's this beautiful quote in the concrete on the in the pavement as you arrive at Stanford by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. It says, mm-hmm. there comes a time in every life where the past recedes and the future opens. Some turn back to what they already know and some walk, walk forward into uncertainty. It says, I cannot tell you which way is right, but I can tell you which way is more fun. And I do know that all the sharp U-turns in my life and all the times I thought I was a failure have turned around into something much brighter and better for having the confidence to just walk forward out of that situation. Oh my God, I'm so inspired by you. That's phenomenal. And it makes me think about like, I'll never forget when I had just had an 18-wheeler full of furniture truck delivered all this furniture into my co-working space and I was in there by myself and I was like there is nothing better but it makes me the clip because I'm so happy for you there's nothing better than a physical manifestation of your dreams and that's what you've done right you've had your dream and then you built it and then you built it again and then you built it again and it's also you know we talk a lot in the U.S. about imposter syndrome And, you know, we're all so busy running around thinking everybody else has it together and everybody else doesn't have it together. And we're all running around thinking that, you know, we're not good enough. And the fact is that, like, it just takes some adversity to get to where you need to be. And you're so, like, exactly where you need to be, changing the world, inspiring others, bringing your community together. Like, this stuff just like makes me so happy because 
you know, in this world of loneliness and suicide and depression and all these things, like what we're doing is we're providing that connective glue that allows society to thrive. We are essential to the future of this freaking planet. And as soon as people realize that and stop thinking that we're a real estate business, like when they finally figure out that that's not what we are, this thing, like we haven't even begun to see what co-working can do for the world. A good friend of mine who I met in San Francisco, he's a really interesting Aussie, Oscar McLennan, he said to me, he walked into the space and his first reaction was, this isn't real estate, this is hospitality. And I said, absolutely. And interestingly, our interior architect, Sally Taylor, has done incredible hospitality venues in Sydney for very large corporates and some of our most famous yeah, hospitality venues. And so she did our interior, which is why mm-hmm. we are more like, it feels like you're at home at a restaurant mm-hmm. and yeah, it's where you go to get your work done. And we are hospitality and community first, co-working meeting rooms and private offices second and But third, and underpinning it, and importantly, the commercial aspects are we own and operate a building, and that is what allows us the financial sustainability to continue. And that's, gosh, that's important to me. I never realized that without the, without getting the budget right, we actually can't have an impact. 100%. 100%. That is a hard lesson to learn. And that is a reckoning for a lot of people around the world right now in co-working. And yeah, it's a business. It's, you've got to run it as a business. But yeah, I am, I have been marching around with my hospitality flag for a while now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are about taking care of humans. We're not about taking care of things. And that's where our industry is moving out of real estate and into hospitality where we belong. So thank you again, Jillian. It was such a pleasure. We're so looking forward to seeing you in Sydney. And to all of those listening, you're welcome. This has been an amazing episode and I cannot wait to see what you do next. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. Take care, y'all. And we'll see you on the next Juicy Podcast.